0: What is up, everyone? Jonathan here with the Venue Rx podcast, and I am absolutely excited to be joined today on the show by Renee Dalo. Renee, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. It's so fun to be here from from here, from my desk.
0: Well, and where is from here? Where Where is here for you?
1: Los Angeles, friend. 20 years in LA, but I'm originally from New York City, so I don't like claim LA as my like full home, but it's like, oh, you know, half.
0: That's wonderful. You're so close. I could almost reach out and touch you. We're down here in San Diego.
1: Oh yeah. Well, you know, what's funny about San Diego is that when I moved to LA, everyone was like, oh, it's two hours to San Diego. Um, incorrect. It is four hours to San Diego. traffic. <laughs>
0: Seriously. Yeah. You think geographically it's two hours Correct. or, you know, and, and then in my mind, I'm like, ah, I'm a fast driver. I can get oh, down there.
1: Same. Like I know the back ways. It's like, no, it's still four hours. No, it's still
0: four- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And you know, the interesting thing is if you want to go further North, the traffic, since it gets, is not as bad going further North, it's like four hours to LA, but then five hours to get significantly longer of a distance Uh up the coast.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, I love it here and I've lived here forever. So it it is home, but wow, we are crazy with the traffic. Even, even like mid pandemic, I was still like, where is everyone going?
0: (laughs) So true. California problems. I love it. Well, I'm really excited to get into your story. Um, I don't like doing those, you know, uh, canned uh, pitches on the guests because I love having a conversational style and I'm excited to get to know you through this podcast, but then also I have some pointed questions specifically for our venue owner friends who are going to be listening to this, you know, who um, may want to have better vendor relationships, right? They may want to um, make it easier for the planners and coordinators that they work with uh, to, you know, have a better experience when they're at their venue. And so I'm really excited just about the opportunity to learn from you. So let's start. You said you're from New York. Can you take us back? New York, when did you leave New York?
1: I left New York um, before 9-11. I mean, obviously unbeknownst to me, it was before 9-11. I used to be a musical theater actor. So I was born and raised in New York City. So when it was like time to like enter my career after college, I was like, well, I'm just gonna go home. (laughs) I'm gonna go home and and start auditioning. And, you know, in a pretty short amount of time I got really lucky and I got to do a bunch of road shows which means you live out of a suitcase. And the contracts are typically like six to nine months. So I'd be gone for these long stretches of time. And then when I'd come back to the city um, in between, you know, gigs, I would take restaurant jobs. And so I was always working and, you know, because I, from LA, um, from New York, I was always like, I just happened to like luck into like the really fine dining restaurants in New York. So when I did years on the road and years in fine dining, by the time I wanted to move to LA, I was 25 when I moved to LA and um, I didn't realize that like I had built up this like pretty intense hospitality resume like if you read my my like jobs on paper they were like whoa and i was so young and and so when i got here and i tried to get like a subsistence job in the hospitality industry people were like oh yeah wherever you want to go like we <laughs> i was like i didn't know that i was doing that so i ended up opening a restaurant out here which had a restaurant on the bottom floor and banquet rooms on the top okay and so I started as the hostess because I couldn't get a job. They, there was like, we were opening the restaurant. So they were like filling all the spots and they were like, we'll start you as a hostess and we'll move you up. And I was like, all right, you better. Cause like, I don't want to be a hostess. And like, I worked at that restaurant for three years. And by the time I left, I was the banquet sales manager. Like I had worked every job in that place, in that building. At one point I was making salads for banquets one day. Cause someone called in sick. I was like, just let me back there. Like we, the staff who opened that restaurant like we took ownership of that place. Um, and then I realized that like I loved my job, but I didn't like working in the same building all the time. Like I was really bored of the location. I'm a Gemini. I kind of like to keep moving. So then I realized what I really wanted to do was plan weddings just as a freelancer or as a business owner now. But in my head, I was like, well, I just want to work wherever. And so that's kind of how I made it was much longer than that, but that's the really bullet pointed version of like how I got from acting to wedding planning is that like this restaurant really was like the bridge between like you know, doing what I did in New York. And then like what I was meant to be doing here.
0: I'm so excited about your story because it is so similar to mine in a lot of ways Oh yeah, coming from hospitality and Mm -hmm. then not really just actually coming to that exact same point of like, I don't like being in these little, this little box all the time. And for me, my saving grace was that it was different clients all the time. Right. You you're you are know, seeing some of your regulars, but then you always are having new people. Yeah. You're developing new relationships, new rapport, um, solving different problems every day. And so for me, and probably sounds like for you as well, that was something that that was good, but then you wanted that freedom. You wanted to expand. Yeah.
1: Well, and also like, so we were corporate owned. So anytime I needed approval for anything, it wasn't like I went to my manager. I had to go to Chicago management and uh-huh. say like, Tori Spelling wants to have her birthday party here and she wants to cover the ceiling in a thousand gold balloons they were like, no I was like, this was like 2002 and I was like, no 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 Tory spelling wh-? and they were like, we don't who is the, we don't care And I was like, what so what like- are you doing? yeah yeah, I mean, like, we did it anyway. Um, there you go. <laughs> but but that's one of the reasons that I was like, I gotta get out of here. And then and then here's what was a funny day in like my like personal history. I think back all the time. So Mindy Weiss, who's a very obviously famous wedding planner, she came into um, the building to ask to speak to someone in banquet sales because she wanted to throw a party for her sister, a birthday party. And no one in the office knew who she was. And you should have seen me. I was elbow, I was like, get out of my way. I'm talking to Mindy. I was like, hi, I'd like to help you. And like I helped her, helped her on the venue side plan. This party for her sister it was the first time i had seen drag queen bingo she got a drag queen uh to come do bingo at her sister's party i met her entire team at the time and i immediately was like i want what she i want to do what she's doing right like i want that i want that level of like knowing what's next knowing the cool thing like flexibility, money. Like I want all that. And so that was the day that I was like, oh, there is actually something else I can do here. Like I'm not just working at this one place, you know?
0: Was that the first time that you had been exposed to weddings? Cause it sounds like before you had all this hospitality experience and I know there's some crossover, but at the same, it's like kind of like banquet crossover. Yeah. And
1: I had yeah. some banquet crossover, Okay. But like we did weddings at the restaurant. We had one bigger room. We did like, I think the biggest we can accommodate, I think we had like 125 in that room. So we, we did like kind of low-key weddings in that space. And I just became known um, in the little banquet staff as like, oh, Renee is, Renee will handle the weddings. Cause like, oh, she's good with the brides. Right. But then at the same time, I was in that like late twenties stage of my life where all of my friends were getting married and all of my friends were actors, right. Out of work, barely working, sometimes working. So no one had any money, but everyone wanted to get married. And so I also became the friend in my friend group that was planning weddings as like a side hobby for my friends. Mm -hmm. And that sort of spiraled, excuse me, in that the one friend I did for, like my best friend, all the people who came to her wedding were like, well, who helped you do this? Oh, Renee did. Oh, can she help me? "Mm, Sure. So I was planning weddings for free basically um or like for bartering like a couch um for years before i ever thought like this could be a business huh like i just kind of thought it i just kept thinking like well i'll just be an actor like one day i'll get on a sitcom and this will just be the job that goes away
0: were and you I still had- auditioning at
1: the time like yeah, were yeah, you yeah, still yeah. okay totally. okay so you're very auditioning the whole thing um and then i had a really close call with a with a really big gig and i didn't get it and i was like you know what I think I'm done like I didn't think I'd ever get to that point with acting where I'd say like this isn't worth it anymore but having come so close to something and then not getting it and then having that show run for years I was like I mean of course I didn't make I made the decision that day that I didn't get it but then in hindsight like looking at having that show run for years the girl who had gotten the role is now like a major star and I was like Yeah, I was glad because what it ended up doing for me was I realized that what I really wanted, what I was looking for was my own agency, like my own, like being in charge of my own life and career, which you almost never are as an actor.
0: Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me as entrepreneurs, I think we enter in at different points. To this whole game and this whole journey of entrepreneurship. But we enter into different points, but we're all trying to achieve the same thing, maybe different ways. And it is that autonomy. It is the freedom and the flexibility and all those things. And generally, at least I find we start even sometimes we start businesses where we think that this is going to give me that freedom, that autonomy, that flexibility. And it doesn't actually. And so we end up needing to shift and pivot to kind of continue pursuing that. So I love that that's part of your story. So then take me to the next level. So now we are, you know, we're with you on this journey. You're now planning weddings. You've made the decision. Did you, was it kind of like you woke up, you saw Mindy, you're like, I got to do this. I'm going to do this. And then you, was like you went really for
1: gradual. it. No, it was super gradual. And like, like so many things in my life, it just sort of feels like this is going to sound so like woo woo, but it feels sort of like meant to be, like faded in a way. Like things just kind of happen. Oh, there's my dogs. Can you hear my dogs? They're coming. I love it. Dogs are welcome on the show.
0: Dogs, dogs swearing. These
1: dogs understand when I'm being recorded, and they're like, "Mom, I want to be on. I want to be on the show too. We're going
0: to let our um, voices be heard. I love it. I right?
1: <laughs> have so much to say. Um, no, it was really gradual and. I don't know. It's like one thing, sort of like things, just sort of stacked on top of each other. And then before I knew it, I was like, "Oh, this is a thing I could really do." It what? And actually, it wasn't until so I met my husband doing a play out here in LA. So even though I stopped auditioning for like real, 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 you know, real gigs that would pay, I was still doing theater like was a hobby. And I met my husband doing a play, and um, we eventually got you know got engaged, and we got married in Philadelphia, where he's from, and I'm you know originally from New York City. So it was it was easier to just go to the East Coast. Well, I realized really quickly that like I did not know Philadelphia. I think I'd been there like twice, right? And so suddenly we're planning a wedding in a city that I don't know. And so I was like, I hired a wedding planner. In the interview process of that what of hiring my wedding planner, she said, I don't understand why you're not a wedding planner in LA. And I was like, Well, you know, there's like a million wedding planners here. Like, I'm not really a wedding planner, you know. And then we worked together for almost 18 months to plan my wedding. And then at the in our like exit call, she was like, Listen. (laughs) <laughs> you need to do something with this. Like you needed me the least amount of anyone that's ever needed me. And you really didn't need me, except you didn't know, that, like you, I don't know what you think you're doing, but you're a wedding planner. And I don't know, it's just having someone else sort of say like, what's the worst that could happen? Cause I said like, oh, I don't know, Mindy Weiss is in my market. Like she's real. I'm not, a, and he, she was like, so what a million people get married every year. Like not everyone can work with Mindy. Now I know how true that is. Right. But even back then, I, I just, I don't know. I had a lot of limiting beliefs about like what I could accomplish. And it wasn't until my wedding planner, Aaron just sort of said like, who cares? Go for it. And I was like, I guess I could just go for it. Huh?
0: <laughs> I love. And that. then
1: a few months later is when I really launched my business.
0: I think limiting beliefs is one of the number one things that plagues new business owners. And maybe specifically 100%. in this space, I think like limiting beliefs and imposter syndrome kind of go back oh, and forth. Huge. And it's tough because I think the imposter syndrome comes from a really good place of wanting to not pretend yeah. to be something that you're not. But yeah. at the same time, there is a sense of like, um, Candace said something yesterday in the podcast that was great, but like action breeds clarity. And a lot of times we yes. just sit around and we're like, why am I not clear on what I'm supposed to do? And that it's because we aren't moving, we aren't going in yeah. a direction. So well, I, I think
1: sometimes other people can see things in us that we cannot see in ourselves. And I think. Part of the journey of entrepreneurship is really understanding yourself a lot more and making it a goal to know yourself better. And I just wasn't there at that moment in time. Like I couldn't see what Erin saw in me. Um, and I'm grateful that she expressed that to me because so many people wouldn't have done that.
0: Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you start wedding planning. Mm Are is it did you kind of click in naturally? Cause you're like, oh my goodness, I've been doing this for a long time and now I have, or were there some real rocky kind Mm -hmm. of moments?
1: Jonathan, you're going to, everyone who's listening to this is going to hate me immediately. So I launched my website April 1st and I did my first wedding April 7th. Wow. I know it never happens this way for anyone listening. It literally will, this will not happen to you. It it was a, it was a fluky luck situation. I had become friends with a handful of wedding planners in my market. Um, One in particular, like, helped me pick a business name, like, took me under her wing and and someone, you know, contacted her and said, hey, um, I'm having like a DIY wedding. It just occurred to me that like, I have no one to really run all this. Like my wedding is on Saturday. Can you help me? And she was like, no, but my friend can. <laughs> and literally just said like, and called me and said, this this girl's going to email you. Just say yes. And so I did. And I got paid $600. I also did her florals. Again, do not do as I do. Don't, don't do this. Um, no business doing florals. Really, no skill in doing florals, but she needed someone to go to the mart and get florals and put them like put them out. And I was like, I will do it. And I had a stomachache the whole week because I was like, What am I doing? I'm taking money from someone who doesn't know me. Like she is trusting me like immensely. But then you're right, and it did sort of click in because I had been doing it. It was just that bridge, you know. Again, that again, the bridge of like going from like a stranger has trusted me with this day and now I have to live up to it. But no, the, it was a, like a total fluke. Like who launches their website and then the next day books a client? Like literally no one.
0: Renee, so I think that you mentioned you got lucky, right? That's what you said. But I think there's actually some science to getting lucky. And I think that what you did was you perfectly positioned yourself to get lucky. And so, yeah, sure. You got lucky. Sure. Maybe, or maybe you already had that network of friends, right? Or maybe you had already been putting in the work and planning weddings for free. And maybe you had already been in a position where you knew hospitality and knew what was expected kind of from the F and B side of things. And maybe, so sure. Maybe you got lucky, but I really think for the pros listening out there for anyone trying to get in the industry Be like Renee, get lucky like Renee, because you can actually position yourself so that even though you may not get it right away, it may not be six days later, seven days later after you start your business that that you start this, but you can significantly increase your chances of success by starting to like swim in the same pool.
1: Yes. And that's an interesting point. And I actually don't even know that I've ever talked about this publicly, but, um, I went to a conference in 20 12 called Camp Mighty, which was like a conference for bloggers. And honestly, I had no business being there. I wasn't really a blogger, but I had been following the organizer uh, for a while. And every year she'd post Camp Mighty and it looked like, it looked like summer camp for cool girls. You know what I mean? Like it was, and I never went to summer camp as a kid because I'm from the city. So I was like, I want to go to this one day. And the day that it launched, I remember sitting at this desk um, and it launched and it was kind of pricey. And I was just like, F it. I'm going to put it on a credit card. It was in Palm Springs. And I was like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, I'll go and I'll make a friend. And I, that is how I have gotten most of the good things in my life where I just go like, well, F it, what's the worst that can happen. And I just like throw myself off the cliff. And I think that is also another part of entrepreneurship is that you have to get okay with just risk and being uncomfortable and putting yourself in a situation where you you're forced to be brave. Right. Because like I went to this conference, not knowing anyone, although, side story. I actually signed up for the conference, tweeted about the conference, saw that another girl was trying to raise money to go to the conference and like doing a GoFundMe. And so I gave her like 20 bucks just because I was like, it was a goodwill gesture. And we ended up being friends. She lives like a mile away from me. Mindy ended up being my good friend, podcast co-host. And she's the one who introduced me to Liz who gave me my first wedding. So like
0: See the luck is starting to, to, I, I feel like there's a common theme of this planned luck. Like I, I, you sure. know, yeah. retro act, like as we look in hindsight, I think that the, the dots, you know, you can't connect the dots looking backwards. Yeah. And I love that. I think that that is a theme I've seen consistently for successful people. They are willing to kind of go do the thing and then they figure it out. And like you said, I, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard like that, that are like, I just went and did it. I didn't know anyone. I didn't. but then. You know, you do meet that friends, that friend. You do discover like there's a need here. Maybe I can plug in. Maybe I can help. And then one thing connects to the other, connects to the other. So yeah. you're you're here now. So let's go through your career. You you have this planning business. Yeah. You you still have the planning business now, correct? I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. And then you also help educate wedding pros. You coach wedding pros. I
1: do.
0: You have the podcast. I do. So with all of these different things and just yeah. how you're serving the community, which is your favorite thing? Cause wearing the wedding oh, planner yeah. hat, the, the podcast guest host, yeah, you know, all I of the different it. hats,
1: which one? I mean, it depends on when you talk to me, right? Like right before this, I got off a call with some of my lovely dear clients who we've been postponing their wedding for like two years now or whatever, like a year and a half. And I'm actually sad to see them proceed. Like, I want them to just stay with me. Like, can I just plan all your family things? Let's so see. like right now I'm like, well, what are you planning? Cause I love my people. But like later on today, I'm doing my group coaching program with my students. And so if you talk to me after that, I'll be like, well, my group coaching stuff is the best. So like, I'm just continually in love with all of it, but because I really just feel so grateful that I get to do everything. Um, but I think overall, what the pandemic year has really shown me is that um, I think my future is more on the education side and the podcasting side. I think the weddings are, I love them and I don't really intend to stop doing them totally, but I can see a future in which I just do less, less physical weddings. You know, mm.
0: what, what drives you? What, cause I can see when you're talking about your group coaching or your, your, any of the things that you just mentioned, yeah. your eyes light up Yeah, and you said, you're grateful. Does yeah. gratitude play a role in how excited you are? I mean, that energy, I mean, I'm feeling it through the screen, even though we're two slash five hours away from each other.
1: Totally. I mean, here's the, here's the truth, Jonathan. I am a lower middle-class kid from Brooklyn who was got brought into this world by a teenage mom. Like, no, if you look at me on paper, no, a six, like multiple six-figure business, a healthy marriage living across the country in a nice house with a, with a nice stuff. No, uh-uh. No, no. The little girl who sat on the, on the stoop in Brooklyn and wondered how the hell I was going to get out of there, super grateful for every single part of my life, 100%. So I guess that motivates me, but also more than that, like everything that I do in the education space and the podcast space is really from the, the core belief that I have as a, as a woman in business in that what I really want to do is empower other women, and I, I say women specifically for this reason is that so many women do not feel empowered enough to make their own money, have their own freedom that comes with making money, or they think that if they own a business and become, you know, uh, the dreaded workaholic, that somehow they'll lose themselves in the process. And so, like, I'm just really passionate about teaching women business owners in the industry of weddings, because that's where I that's where I am how to do this unapologetically and still have a lovely life that they don't have to apologize for making money or being successful or being a workaholic. And they don't have to say it's one or the other, right? I think we do a lot of of damage societally, I think, in telling women that like, you can either have a happy life or a good business. And like, I don't really know that there's balance, but I think overall, over over a lifetime, it, it evens out.
0: Totally. I almost think it's a conversation of normalizing it. And so I'm not a woman. Um, you know, I have three sisters, three younger sisters. I'm married to an incredible woman. I have two daughters, and you're surrounded by women. Surrounded by my husband and very strong women.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. How many sisters?
1: He has three sisters.
0: So same. Is he the oldest? Where is he in the birth order? He
1: he's the yeah, he's the youngest. He's the first boy. He has a he has a younger brother, Philip. So he has three sisters, Joe, and then his younger brother, Philip. So
0: big. Big family. Very cool. Big
1: family. And I'm an Uh, only child.
0: Hilarious. Wow. That is hilarious. Yeah. So that's a whole nother like whole direction that we could go. We won't even get there right now, but um, (laughs) I, I think it's the question of like normalizing it. And I love that what you said about being a workaholic, having this big business or having a great family life. That's something that I think many people struggle with because there are these stereotypes that we see Hmm. You see someone like a Elon Musk or you know, Jeff Bezos or you know these right. big characters, and obviously those are men. You right. may even see people in the corporate corporate sphere, uh Ariana Huffington, different people yeah. that are like these professionals, whether they're men, women, whoever they are, they are living this very fast-paced life. Mm-hmm on this side and they can't have, they probably don't have time for their kids or we know that they don't have time for their kids because there are horror stories or whatever it is. Right. Right. And, and so understanding, helping educate, I think women very, very important, certainly because there's kind of some stigmas there that are longer lasting, but for men too, like you can, and you should invest in your family. You're not successful if you've just made a million dollars. Right. And you have a screwed up relationship with your family, your kids, your wife, like right? Right. You so, can't be
1: you, I mean, here's the thing. The goal is not to be a millionaire and and someone that everyone hates. Like you still want at least for me, like if I'm going to be a millionaire, I want to be an ethical upstanding member of society millionaire, not someone who made my money on the backs of other people.
0: Totally. And that's something I don't think that gets talked about a lot. I think there are a lot of quiet millionaires who are like that, yeah. but we don't see those folks. Those are folks on yeah. in media.
1: Yeah, it's true and you know, I think to In light of everything that happened in 2020, like the social revolution, Black Lives Matter, you know, everything we saw. It's like, I think now we're, as business owners, we're just called to be more visibly ethical than we ever were before. And and I look for it in other vendors. Like when I, as a wedding planner, when I'm recommending vendors to people, especially if I don't know them yet, and my clients have found them on Instagram, I do a, I'm deep diving into that and be like, what do you stand for? You know, what do you believe in? It's important now.
0: I like that. I really like that. I think that when you take the time to do that research and you're surrounding yourself with that group of vendors that echo the same thing that you have, the experience you're able to give to your client is a lot more seamless. There's synergy. It's not disjointed yeah. because there's differences in opinion. I have noticed, I did a little deep dive on you and mm-hmm. you know, you are very vocal about yeah. your political beliefs and some of those different things. I have a question about that though, for you. Yeah, oh, sure. Do you feel like because of the very obvious nature of these issues, whether it's black lives matter or women's rights or anything to do with the LGBTQ community where that can just be a badge that someone can try to take to say that they're in the, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Yeah. And I support this and I do this and I do this, but where they're not actually, they're just doing it because they want some, some social clout. Yeah. Do you see that?
1: I mean, I'm sure it exists. Right. And I, I don't know that I've seen the manifestation of it yet. I feel like, I just feel like some of it is the proof of how you live your life and run your business. Right. So it's like, this is like such a, I don't know, such a a oversimplification of it. But like, if I look at a business on their Instagram and they posted a black square for BLM and everything else on their feed is just white people, then I'm like, okay, well, it's been a year and almost a year now, where's the work? what do now it might be private work and that's fine too but at some point if you're taking to heart the private work of, of becoming anti-racist it will bleed out into the rest of your life because it can't not right so i think it's hard to tell what's performative and what's real but i think time will tell and at least for the for the vendors that i really love and recommend like i know them deeply as humans and i think that that's it's just so important and um anyone who's listening, who feels scared to share their values, um, for fear of like, you know, retribution or something like, I just, it hasn't ever been my experience. In fact, so many of my clients have told me, uh, that they hired me because I'm so outspoken about what I believe in, because then they, kn- they know that there's no room for, there's no gray area with me, you know? Yeah. Um, I had someone, uh, a few months ago, I think it was during the election. Uh, I was there in the election, uh, DM me on Instagram to say like, I follow you for wedding planning, not politics. And so I did a bunch of highlights on my Instagram, on my wedding planning Instagram about it. Cause I was like, just to be clear what our ethics are. And if you don't like it, you can unfollow me. That's fine. But like, you can't come into my space and tell me I can't talk about these things. Like,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you know, philanthropy is a core value of Moxie Bright events. Like we give a substantial amount of money away each year to to causes that I believe in. And I know my clients do too. So, you know, money just- you know, money talks.
0: <laughs> totally. A hundred percent. I think money in action and money yeah. is, is a form of action. Money is an yeah. energy. It is. And so to what you're saying about kind of this like symbolism of, you know, Oh, you know, I support this. Well, do you really Where are your actions? How are you? Right. And it's different, you know, the person, the business who employs a wide variety of people from different ethnic, you know, racial backgrounds, the business that does that versus the business just posts a black square and doesn't take any action. There's a big, there's, there's a big divide there. So uh, I love that you said that. Do you also believe, and just while we're on this issue, do you also believe though, that there, if there's a business who maybe doesn't have that as one of their core values, Mm -hmm. and it's not authentic actually for them to, to do that, that they're kind of, being very disingenuous by trying huh. to just bandwagon if it's not huh. truly part of their culture.
1: Yeah. And I think eventually that will come to light, you know, just in the interaction with someone like, I don't know, can you imagine this is like purely fictional, but can you imagine like there's a business out there who decides to donate to an LGBTQ, um, you know, nonprofit, right. Yeah. But if you have an interaction with them in real life, they say something like, oh, that's so gay. Right. And you're like, oh, that's, that doesn't, Hmm, that's a disconnect. Yeah. That's jarring. Right. Like you'll have those moments where you're like, all right, well, I kind of see who you really are. The thing is people show us who they are. Right. And totally. whether it's through the veneer of, of Instagram or in a conversation like this, or in what they consider a private interaction on an email or phone call, like people do show us who they are and it's our job to really see it the first time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, And I know this is a totally tangential situation, but like, I don't know if you follow Rachel Hollis, but last week she got into a lot of hot water on her Instagram for, you know, showing us who she is again. You know, she's had missteps, public missteps a lot. And we still give her people, the public, not me. I mean, I don't really follow her that much anymore, but like she gets unlimited chances, it seems to say hurtful things. Mm -hmm. At some point, you know, we have to put a stop to that.
0: I'm not as familiar with her as I probably should be. So I'm not familiar with what you're talking about.
1: You're fine. You're not missing anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, fair enough. But I'm curious now because do you think there is, um, I, I guess I, as I'm thinking about someone who just wants to like be on the bandwagon and just kind of support, because that's what the, the correct thing to do. Yeah, exactly. That's, that is kind of like, um, it's kind of like, like ethical appropriation. Oh, it totally is. Right? 100%. Yeah. So 100%. go with me to the other side then. If you have someone whose core values and beliefs maybe aren't aligned.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, think of someone who is from a very strict sect of a Muslim belief. Yeah. Uh, Indian culture, certainly conservative Christian culture yeah. that do not align with some of these cultural issues. And actually, and so this whole thing is very, very fascinating to me because like, I want to learn more. I want to be, I want to run my business correctly. Right. Um, but I also, I also, it's, it's like, I am under, I'm trying to figure out where's the line. Like, how do we, with someone like someone who's Muslim, who may not support Mm -hmm. a, uh, you know, the homosexual community. Sure. What do we do with that? How can we
1: listen? Everyone, (laughs) Like, you know, like there's a lid for every pot, like there's going to be, if that's, a, if a client has that belief, there's going to be a vendor that suits them. It's just not going to be me. Right. So like, that is one of the reasons I am so vocal is because I want to both attract and repel. And it was funny that you said correct. Right. Because I think what's correct is you've everyone following their own beliefs. And so I don't think it's not correct just to think the way I do, right? That's correct for me and correct Mm -hmm. for my business. But if you are raised Muslim or Mormon, you know, like a lot of religions have very strict codes of conduct. And if that's your belief, then you have to go, you have to operate in a way that's correct for you. Now, the difference is, are you doing something that is, are you actively hurting a marginalized group? That's where it's different for me. Like the baker who wouldn't bake the cake for the gay couple
0: Mm -hmm. mm-hmm harm
1: right that caused harm so that I don't agree with but but again I'm really lucky that I live in Los Angeles I'll say that Mm -hmm. I'm I've always lived New York Chicago LA I've always lived somewhere where I have been the my my viewpoint has been the majority there was a brief moment uh, during the quarantine where my husband was like we're moving and I was like oh really though <laughs> and we're not um and he was like what about Nashville and I was like on board and then I realized I've never been a blue dot in a red sea mm-hmm. like ever and I really was like oh what would that really be like to not be in the majority like I'm it's my privilege that I have never had to have that that feeling
0: that's really cool and renee I love that you brought up this idea of, of- doing what is right for you. And then also what you said earlier about being vocal, because yeah. I think that it is important for you to kind of, as part of branding, as part of marketing, as part of being authentic, it's yeah. important to serve clients who want to be served by you and vice versa. Yeah. Right. Well, I
1: want my clients to feel safe. And if they are a part of a marginalized community, I want them to know that, although I am a middle-aged white woman, like there is a safe, there is a safe place here for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm always very aware of how I'm perceived. And like I said, I'm an upper middle-class, middle-aged white woman. <laughs> cool. So you could go either way. I could be a Karen or I could be an ally. And so I have to be vocal about it so that people know.
0: That's huge. I think this is one of the most important topics that are uh, that are present in yeah. this industry right now. And I think so many industries, of course, but this industry specifically, because we are at the apex of social mm-hmm. and uh, family. I mean, there's at a wedding, at an event, it's this coming together of so many different viewpoints. It's your crazy, wild, conservative uncle that drinks too much Bud Light.
1: Always a crazy
0: uncle. Right. Right.
1: Always a crazy uncle?
0: (laughs) So it's, it's really, really important that we're talking about these issues and I'm really excited for some of the upcoming conversations that I have with, with pros around this. I want to shift the discussion a little bit and talk about, uh, venues. Yeah. Of course the venue RX here. And I know from all the weddings you've done you've worked at many venues, right. How many? Um, what are some things that you wish venue owners knew, uh, from a wedding planner perspective, maybe something, you know, you wish you could do more walkthroughs. You wish that they would have more of an empathetic approach to understanding what you as the planner are going through. And maybe let's speak specifically to blank canvas venues, yeah. you know, where, um, everything isn't kind of already in a package.
1: Yeah, blank canvas venues are funny, right? Because like in LA, we have a few different like style, like v- vibes. Like sometimes you have the blank canvas venue where the owner is like on top of it and like tells you exactly what you can do and what you can't do and when you can get in and when you can get out and everything's like under their watchful eye, and that's great. Like I'm not a wedding planner who's going to be like trying to break a rule. But then we have like blank canvas venues where someone hands you a key and goes like, "Peace out, see you la- see you tonight," and you're like, "Oh, that's not um, okay." so it's just me. Um, So I think there's like a healthy middle, middle ground there. Um, I, I think I've been really fortunate in that I haven't experienced a lot of the um, vendor planner, like uh, friction that I know a lot of my planner students have, have experienced maybe in other markets. I, I just, um, for me, like as a planner, we're like professional middlemen, right? Like that's kind of, it's kind of the gig. And so I just want my venue partners, especially the venues to know that like I'm also working for them. Like I'm on their side too. So I'm, I'm bridging the the gap between like what my clients want and what I know they want to do. middle
0: middle women. I yeah. love that. That's I'm just so like cool. this
1: all the time. Like, well, the venue says we can't, but my clients want to, so can we compromise like all the time? Um, but the venues that I do best at, um, the ones where I'm on the preferred list for, uh, I feel like I'm part of that team in a way. Like, I, they trust me. They let me park in the back where no one else gets to park, and I'm allowed to use the other door. And like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm part of it with them. I feel like, mm-hmm. and it helps me sell the venue more, right? It helps them sell. It helps them sell me to their potential uh, clients. So it's like it goes both ways. And then I just feel a sense of. Um, like calm when I book a wedding at a venue where I'm trusted and I'm known and, you know, and there's a relationship. So really it's like, I just wish more venue owners, especially the blank space owners would make relationships happen more with the planners, because I think that's where we can get into conversations if we have to about compromises, or at least I will know what to say to my client. If they're like, you know, I really want to nail flowers in the wall. And i will be like, well, you can't. And here's why, <laughs> as opposed to just like, I don't know, let me talk to the venue and see if they'll say like, I want to be more in the know with everything.
0: Totally. Let's yeah. focus really quick on blank canvas venues. Cause I think yeah. you you're totally right. There are a difference. I personally love blank canvas venues because starting with the staffing company that we have and, you know, being able to serve at those blank canvas venues versus yeah. an all inclusive environment, where we're really not going to be there. Yeah. Um, I think it allows for so much creativity. I think it allows for, uh, variance and budget, right. You can have oh, totally. something very small. That's still very nice yeah. or something that's very large and opulent and, you know, expensive. Um, but let's talk about those two, because there certainly yeah. are people that like drop you the key and they're like, have fun.
1: It makes me so anxious because I'm like, I like rules.
0: Yeah. Okay. Do you I think wanna... that's, do you think that's not just you and there's other planners that feel the same way? Oh Yeah.
1: We're planners. We want to know the parameters. Like, I, if I'm going to break a rule, I need to know what they are first, right? Like, I'm not really a rule breaker, but if I, if I, if there's something I want to talk about, like, I need to know what, what the rules are. And there are some, not a, not a ton, but enough that don't have, um, enough edges for me to play with. Like, I just like I can do anything, really, anything, or because then that leaves me with the feeling of like, if we do anything, is it going to come back to us later? Yeah, that we did too much. Right. So, can we bring I, a
0: llama I, right.
1: in? Right. Tell me. Just no. tell me. Listen, I have two llama vendors. Are they welcome here? Right. So, yeah, I like rules. I like to know that the drop a key and leave me alone thing uh, doesn't feel like freedom to me. It feels just like anxiety.
0: Totally. I yeah. love that. So, for any of our blank canvas friends who are listening to this right now,
1: rules. Renee wants rules.
0: Find a sandbox. Find a sandbox and let your planners play in them.
1: Uh huh.
0: 100%. Cool. Cool. I love that. Well, Renee, we, I feel like <laughs> it's so funny because we went know, all over. The place. We went all over the place, and it's so good. It's beautiful. But I, I wanted to ask you specifically as a planner, as a planner who's been to different spaces, as a planner educator, yeah. what common misconceptions do you see come up again and again and again surrounding what planners actually do?
1: Oh, this is a good one. Um, I think there's misconceptions on many levels right i think a lot of um a lot of clients who don't really understand what it is we do think that we're some sort of catch-all for every other vendor that they might not want to hire so like our dj isn't an MC; you'll do it though right i'm like no um our caterer doesn't want to serve you guys will serve early in my career i got an inquiry where the girl said we need you to come to the park and coordinate our wedding so that you can carve the chicken and serve it
0: (laughs) i I love it that's amazing
1: Like, and I, there, I was so early in my career that I had a moment where I stared at the email and I was like, should I do this? And I was like, oh my God, no, what am I thinking? <laughs> like, No, I'm not going to do that. Um, And so, and that, I think that's the job of the planner and, and also our wedding industry media to really help educate that, like, as the planner, I'm like the, and I, I cannot believe I'm going to use a sports analogy, but like, I'm like the captain of the team. I'm the director of the play. We'll do that. Perfect. Right. So seems more on brand. If, right. If one of the actors calls in sick, the director is not gonna step in. That's just not what happens, right? So it's that sort of mentality that I think needs to be communicated more th- to the clients at least to let them know that like, hey, um, the following things like on my contract, it literally says things that I will not do. I will not MC your wedding. I will not serve food. I will not, you know, I'm not, you know, there are things that I will do like tidy up, right? Like take out take out the trash in the bridal suite. We're, we've done that like hundreds of times, but not to be disgusting, but like if someone vomits, that's not me. Mm -hmm. that's not on me and I know that like as we move through the process with our clients like you know we sort of in we affirm this all the time right like okay so that's going to be your MC, and that's going to be you know the cake is going to be delivered by the baker because they have the right vans for it don't try to get your aunt to bring the cake because in the car it's not going to work like there are structures in place here for these things um but as far as venue and planner um You know, I think the only time I ever see any kind of friction is like maybe with a floor plan, like do they do it? Do we do it? Um, You know, whose timeline are we using? Like some of the venues who want to do everything or the venues who have coordinators on staff do like, well, we have ours. I'm like, well, I'm working for the client. So please just let me do it. Let's all work together. It's better if we do it together. Um, So stuff like that. I think I've seen a little bit of friction, but I also think maybe it's just because of where I am in my career. I don't get a lot of that friction any anymore because I think when they see like, oh, a plan- oh Renee's here, a planner's here. Like, I'm like, oh, we don't have to do as much. And that's the feeling I want for my venues. Like I want them to be like, oh, Renee's here. She's got it, we can She's relax. Yeah, totally. Because then everyone feels m- more calm about the whole thing.
0: Absolutely. When that discussion comes up with the clients and I think specifically, this is an interesting topic of education, right? Between yeah. all of the vendors, I think collectively, But I am also probably as you are as well, a part of so many different, um, groups and and Facebook discussions where there's a constant complaint about, you know, these unbelievable couples who come in and they want this amazing experience for a couple thousand bucks and people who are constantly undervaluing the industry. Do you think there is maybe an over obsession on complaining about that? And rather just saying like, you can have a, a, you can have a taco. You could go to a taco shop and get a taco for a buck twenty-five, Right. Right. And it could right. be the best damn taco. And you could love it. But it's not going to be steak from Morton's or Ruth's Chris or Fleming's. It's just not. It's just
1: not. Yep. It doesn't mean it's bad. No, it's not going to be a homemade tortilla. It's not going to be homemade pico de gallo. These are going to be, it, yeah, you can get any kind of taco you want. Yeah, I use a personality all the time. That's what I say to my clients. I go, look, you can buy a purse at Target or you can buy a purse at Louis Vuitton. They both hold the same amount of stuff. So it's up to you, right? We can get a band that's $5,000. We can get one that's 12,000. There is a difference in quality, 100%. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing too with the education and as far as our clients have no idea what anything costs, right? True. And I think venues bear the brunt of this if, unless, they have, unless they come in with a planner. Venues are the first piece of sticker shock that they receive, right? They love this venue. They look at it online. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. They want it. They're dreaming of it. And then they get there and they're like, it's $20,000 in LA, right? And then I get the phone calls from people who are looking for a wedding planner who are venue shopping and they can't believe how expensive it is. And I'm like, well, that's <laughs> about the half of it, friends. Like, I don't know. It's all
0: my pricing and then my right. forest pricing, my venue. Right. Yeah.
1: So it's constantly coming up against the uncomfortableness of talking about money with someone who's a virtual stranger for the, in the sake of a venue, I feel like there's also a little bit of it. That's like, they can see the product, right? It's $20,000. Here's what you get. It's a beautiful building. It's tables and chairs and you can see it. Um, and it's up to the client. If that is worth it to them with a service-based person like myself, it really is, uh, harder to sell, right? Cause we're selling the idea of us. Right. And they have to really like us and trust us in a 30 minute phone call and mm-hmm. think, yeah, I'm going to, I'm gonna trust this lady with a hundred thousand dollars worth of services. like it's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that I think venues, um, I think everyone in the wedding industry can do this do a better job of this is that our clients, they don't really understand what they're paying for, right? And sometimes I have to contextualize it with the client when they're like, well, I love this venue, but why is it so much more money? And I'm like, Well, because it's near the beach and they have a lot of saltwater damage and there's a lot of insurance is higher and they have to pay a staff and it's a, you know, part of it is owned. I have to like really work on like, this is why. And I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then suddenly they're okay to book the venue. And I think we're always afraid of showing the behind the scenes because we want everything in the wedding industry has to be so perfect. Mm -hmm. But it's like, sometimes it's, it's more educational and gives them a, uh, more confidence to book something if they know like, like for photographers, right? Photographers always advertise like, okay, so this is my eight hour package and this is how many images you get. They have no idea. They don't know. What I want photographers to say is this is an eight hour package with this many images. It's gonna cost. it's gonna take me this many hours to edit on the back end. Like that's what you're paying Lay it out. for. Yeah. Lay it out. Start laying it out. One of the vendors uh what venues sorry that I'm preferred at is a historic women's venue run by a board of directors. So when you pay that high venue rental fee, you're also supporting the women's club that has been around since the 1900s. You better believe I tell my clients that because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, that's amazing. I'm like, yes. And that's why this place costs more than the others. Mm-hmm. But don't you feel better about that, about that purchase?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, Renee, you said something that was really just, it really hit me and really resonated. And I, I will kind of wrap up here um, because I know for sure I could talk to you for another hour and a half and, <laughs> and we might lose some people. So we might have to do another one, right? Sure. But, let's do it. Um, you know, you, you were, you made the analogy of the person target or the purse from Louis Vuitton. Yeah. And there's this idea of, you know, value, what is important to you. Maybe the purses are the exact same size. Maybe they'll hold the same amount. Maybe they'll last the same amount, but Mm -hmm. you're going to get a different feeling from one. You're going to to be looked at, perceived differently. You're going to be like, there's all this other peripheral stuff. And it's crazy because what you said about the service business is, is strikingly more challenging because you're not showing them a Mm bag. You don't know what that feels like until you've done it and mm-hmm. weddings are hopefully a one time thing right sure and so if it's this idea of like you know or even a two or three time thing let's say but <laughs> over over a lifetime it's you're not it's not a purse that you're going to buy and buy and buy again and you can't yeah. see it and you can't understand the value of it until it's already gone yep. and so that is that for any planner listening or anyone in a service business especially surrounding this industry where you're not going to have repeat clientele yeah just understanding that and marketing and branding yourself in that way and over-educating couples on what that looks like and making sure you're getting testimonials and things like that are, you can't do that enough, I, I think.
1: I agree. I, I think just the more we talk about the ins and outs and the process, especially venues, like they don't really understand what it costs to run a venue. Like I, I often wonder if clients knew how much the electricity bills were for our venues, if they would quibble <laughs> about the price so much
0: so we actually operate two venues Yeah, and it's insane. I'm sure. And it's insane. The level of, and different venues have different features. Just like you talked about the women's club where you're supporting one. Well, if you have a venue, like we have one with a massive waterfall. Yeah. Oh, it's dumping 2000 gallons (laughs) a minute and there's pumps and they're like, So there's different features for different venues that are going to dramatically. So I love what you said about kind of pull back that curtain, help educate your clients. um, And even from the vendor side of things, if there's something that you do that's different, maybe there's something different as a vendor that you're working with this venue now and you're explaining to them why you cost significantly more than others. Don't be afraid to pull that back.
1: Yeah. And also it doesn't have to be done in a, in a, in a sales call, right? It can be an Instagram video. Like there's a venue in town that has a living wall. They've been around for 12 years and this wall is lush, right? And I said to the venue manager once, I'm like, you should do an Instagram story on what it takes to maintain this because it's looked gorgeous for 12 years and I know that's not cheap and I know that's not easy. And they're like, that's a good idea. And I was like, people would love to see that. Like who takes care of this wall? Who who gets it to look perfect? Like who is the person? Video them because that's the kind of stuff that ups the value of something when they understand how and why, you know?
0: That's the perfect- that's the perfect question, or that's the perfect answer to when a wedding pro is going to say, I don't know what to post. Taking care of that living wall is boring, right? It isn't though. It isn't. No. It isn't because it's
1: always, because it's perfect. It's aspirational, right? Yeah. And everyone loves plants right now. All the millennials are obsessed with their plant babies. So if you have, your you're listening venues and you have any gardening tips, they're going to love it.
0: This, is, that amazing. Waterfall. this is amazing. This is amazing. That waterfall. Renee, we've talked about a dizzying <laughs> amount of things and I think we've covered it so well. I, I love okay. you. You're amazing. This is like, this you. has been so much fun. And we both have big blue eyes. That's true. That's Just that true. That's very true.
1: For everyone who can't see us in this video.
0: So, and that's a perfect plug. If you're listening to this on podcast, you do need to be checking us out and you need to be checking Renee out. Um, you're on all podcast platforms with your podcast. Yes.
1: Podcasting. Where do people find you? So it's talk with Renee Dallow for the podcast episodes every Thursday, um, not just for women. Even though I love, I talked about women a lot. Um, and then I have, I have, I have three Instagram accounts. I don't know what happened. It just spiraled. So Moxie Bright Events is my planning account. Talk with Renee Dallow is where you'll find the na- latest episodes. And then Renee Dallow is like my education uh, Instagram.
0: Amazing, amazing. So people have three not just one place <laughs> to connect you but they have three <laughs> places to connect three with you places. and and yeah. the podcast yeah um Renee thank you so much for being here this has been thank a lot of fun welcome.
1: thanks so much for having me
0: cool all right well we will be blasting this everywhere I'm really really excited and um yeah this is this has been great talk soon